Good evening. You are tuned to Community Radio, KVMR-FM, Nevada City, KCPC Camino. It's 6 p.m. My name is Claudio Mendonça, and it's time for KVMR's Evening News. Tonight, after the latest NPR News headlines and the California Report, we bring you regional news and weather, followed by the Hospitality House's Needs of the Week. Then, this week's edition of Bravehearts features an interview with Paul Cogley, Executive Director of Sierra Roots. We'll close with an essay by Molly Fisk. For their generous support, we thank Mountain Recreation, offering brand name, outdoor apparel, sporting equipment, and rentals, retailing paddleboards, kayaks, hiking gear, and more. Locally owned and open daily on East Main Street in Grass Valley since 2000. MTNREC.com. And Ola Tortilla, offering homemade organic tortillas and tamales utilizing locally sourced ingredients and products, along with imported food products and gifts from Oaxaca, Mexico. Located next to Food and Juice in Nevada City or at olatortilla.com. Here are tonight's NPR News Headlines. Live from NPR News, I'm Jack Spear. As the Senate begins debate on the $1.9 trillion American Recovery Act, President Biden is already beginning to map out his administration's next big legislative priority. More from NPR's Scott Detrow. Before he took office, Biden laid out a roadmap for economic relief. First, a big rescue package. Then after that, a longer-term economic boost meant to rebuild the country's infrastructure and speed up the shift to clean energy, among other things. As the Senate prepared to debate Biden's rescue bill, the president, Vice President Kamala Harris, and Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg met in the Oval Office with a bipartisan group of House lawmakers, including both the chairman and the top Republican of the Transportation and Infrastructure Committee. Biden told them the goal of the next big bill will be to make sure the country, quote, once again leads the world across the board on infrastructure. Scott Detrow, NPR News, Washington. Capitol Police are requesting added military security around the U.S. Capitol be maintained for another 60 days. A Pentagon official confirming the request for an extension of some of the 5,200 Guard members now activated in Washington following the January 6th insurrection at the U.S. Capitol. That request comes after Capitol Police yesterday said they had information about a possible attempt by a militia group to again storm the Capitol. The request to extend the Guard presence will now be considered by Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin and the Pentagon. Five people died in the riot at the U.S. Capitol. New York City today released a huge trove of disciplinary records covering tens of thousands of current and former police officers. The move means far greater transparency for the nation's largest police force. Here's NPR's Brian Mann. For decades, New York state law kept these disciplinary records secret. But after George Floyd's death at the hands of police and massive Black Lives Matter marches, the state legislature changed the law. The searchable database now allows the public to search by officer's name and by the type of infraction, everything from abuse of authority to improper use of force. New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio told reporters it's an important reform. This is a day we've all been working for for a long time. Thank God that law was changed Uh, We would have released a long time ago, but for the uh, 
court case brought by some of the unions. Police unions fought unsuccessfully in court to keep these records from being made public. Brian Mann, NPR News. It seems one thing workers may not have been during the current coronavirus pandemic. That's productive, at least based on the traditional measurements employed by the Labor Department. Latest government numbers show that worker productivity, that's output per hour worked, fell significantly during the final three months of last year. The 4.2 percent decline in productivity, the biggest drop in nearly four decades. Stocks plunged again today with bond yields moving in the opposite direction following remarks from Federal Reserve Board Chairman Jerome Powell that appeared to worry investors. The Dow fell 345 points. The Nasdaq dropped 274 points. This is NP. There's good news for professional athletes infected with the coronavirus. Almost all athletes involved in a new cardiac study were able to return to play safely with no evidence of heart disease. It's been a concern in sports during the pandemic, as NPR's Tom Goldman reports. The study, published in JAMA Cardiology, involved 789 athletes diagnosed with COVID-19. They were from Major League Baseball, the NFL, NBA, WNBA, Major League Soccer, and the National Hockey League. Only five of the 789 later had inflammatory heart disease, three with myocarditis, two with pericarditis. None of the athletes had been seriously ill with COVID-19, but the five with cardiac disease had more severe initial COVID symptoms. Concerns about heart problems came up last year as sports leagues debated whether or not to play during the pandemic. Despite the positive news about professionals, the study says similar research is needed for youth, college, and master's level athletes. Tom Goldman, NPR News. The weekly unemployment numbers edged up again, rising to 745,000 in a sign employers continue to cut jobs, despite some signs of the economy's regaining ground. Latest report from the Labor Department coming ahead of the widely watched monthly jobs numbers due out tomorrow. Latest weekly figures show that while the pace of layoffs is eased since last year, it remains high by historical standards. Granola futures prices took another big bump up today after OPEC members agreed to leave most of their production cuts in place. That will continue to keep a floor on prices. Oil up $2.55 a barrel to $63.83. This is NPR. This is the California Report. I'm Lily Jamali. The state legislature is expected to vote today on a plan to reopen public schools. The plan would heavily incentivize school districts that open up schools for younger students by April 1st. Here's Governor Gavin Newsom speaking in Long Beach yesterday. Those youngest kids are not getting the quality education they otherwise would on Zoom school, as my four-year-old refers to it. And that's why it's critical that we safely get them back into schools as quickly as we can. While the proposal was a compromise with state legislators, it does have its critics. Some have said the plan doesn't mandate that schools open up, and parents are worried about what it means for older students. Some teachers' unions have also criticized the incentive idea, saying it would target more affluent communities and not those hardest hit by the pandemic. The state's My Turn COVID-19 vaccination system is facing increased scrutiny across California. That site is the main source for the state's residents to sign up for appointments. According to the LA Times, it has serious flaws, making it much more difficult for counties to reserve vaccine appointments for communities hit hard. Here's LA County Public Health Director Dr. Barbara Ferrer speaking at a news conference this week. 
We constantly get reports that people are figuring out on the MyTurn system ways around the eligibility requirement. And that in fact, some people have been allowed, even though they're not eligible, to make appointments. Many wealthy people who aren't eligible for the vaccine have been able to take advantage of those flaws, cutting in front of those who live in vulnerable areas. Health officials in some counties, including Fresno, say they're using their own website until changes are made. New research from UCLA shows zip code and race played significant roles in determining how much loan money small business owners in California got from the Federal Paycheck Protection Program last year. KCRW's Ben Gottlieb has more. Researchers with the UCLA Latino Policy and Politics Initiative meticulously went through federal loan data by congressional district, and they found that when it came to securing federal help, majority white communities fared much better than majority Latino ones. It is not easy to apply for these funds. It is not easy to navigate these government programs. That's Rodrigo Dominguez-Villegas, one of the lead researchers. When it comes to securing loans, he says, the PPP program did not consider racial inequities, things like language barriers, for example, or lacking a prior relationship with banks or other lenders. The businesses that had the least amount of technical and technological resources had difficulty knowing, first of all, that the program existed, and then how to apply. That, Dominguez-Villegas says, compounded access issues for many disadvantaged communities and only widened a wealth gap that already existed pre-pandemic. The study suggests some solutions moving forward, things like setting aside loan money specifically for business owners from underrepresented groups, and that those folks are provided help with filling out their loan applications in the future. For the California Reports, I'm Benjamin Gottlieb in Los Angeles. Support for the California Report comes from Water Heaters Only, specializing in the repair and replacement of water heaters since 1968. Licensed and insured. Open 24 hours a day, every day. Learn more at waterheatersonly.com. Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Ocean Institute, working to advance the frontiers of ocean research, sharing the connection between life on land and life at sea with everyone, everywhere, and College Futures Foundation, supporting KQED special broadcasts from college campuses and other higher education reporting. Learn more at collegefutures.org. PG&E's newest CEO, Patty Poppy, spoke before state utility regulators yesterday for the first time. In January, she took the helm of a company that pleaded guilty last year to killing 84 people in the 2018 campfire, which destroyed paradise. Poppy revealed that it took some convincing to get her to take the job. I'll just tell you, I said no a few times, (laughs) but um, I'll tell you also that after watching Uh, the Paradise videos, um, the ABC 10 news series, um, seeing the photos of our uh, customer payment offices and bucket trucks that have been vandalized by angry customers. Poppy continued, that is not how a community or a state should feel about its local utility. The new series she mentioned was reported by Brandon Riddiman of ABC 10 in Sacramento. He joins me now. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning to you. So first of all, just reactions to hearing the PG&E CEO uh, name check your reporting as she appeared before utility regulators for the very first time. Yeah, I was pleasantly surprised to hear that. Um, We've been trying to get PG&E executives to talk with us about some of the finer points of what we've found for the better part of, oh, 
couple, two, three years now. So it's good to know that the incoming CEO has taken notice. Our overarching bent here has been to pursue PG&E um, for what it is, which is a two-time now corporate felon. They deserve to be covered as the perpetrator of crimes because that's that's what they are. And in fact, as you know, they're on probation right now for, for the first of those. Absolutely. Um, and we also have had a lot of difficulty getting their executives on the record to speak with us about really basic questions about the company's direction right now. You have just this week put out some really interesting reporting about political contributions that PG&E has made. I have to say, I was under the impression that they had been blocked from giving political donations. So please tell us what you found in your investigation. Yeah, so they did face tough questions, PG&E did, um, after our first reporting on the 2018 campaign, where politicians and campaigns in California took, I think it was more than $4 million of money directly from the company. In probation, the federal judge had uh, called PG&E to explain itself, essentially. And, and the company said at the time that these political donations were not more important than spending on the power grid, on safety. And yet our reporting reveals that they did fire up the political giving machine again uh, and gave $2.1 million in 2020. And what's interesting about that is part of this money was given while PG&E was still bankrupt, arguing it didn't have the funds to pay cash to the victims of its wildfires that killed more than 100 people and burned tens of thousands of homes to the ground. Well, thank you for your reporting, Brandon. Brandon is with ABC10 in Sacramento, and he's done a series on PG&E called Fire Power Money. It's great to have you on the show. Great to be here. Thank you very much. And firepowermoney.com is where you can watch all our work. And that is the California Report for this Thursday, March 4th, a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Lily Jamali. Thanks so much for listening. This afternoon at a press conference in Stockton, California Governor Gavin Newsom said that despite loosening restrictions in other states, such as Texas and Mississippi, Californians should remain vigilant, and he encouraged people to consider double masking. According to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, masks substantially reduce exhaled respiratory droplets and aerosols from infected wearers and reduce exposure of uninfected wearers to these particles. In January of this year, the CDC conducted experimental simulations using pliable elasomeric source and receiver headforms, essentially dummies, to assess the extent to which double masking could reduce the receiver's exposure to aerosols of droplet particles of the size considered most important for transmitting SARS-CoV-2, the virus that causes COVID-19. Researchers estimated that the better fit achieved by combining two mask types, specifically a cloth mask over a medical procedure mask, could reduce the wearer's exposure by more than 90%. Also at the news conference, the governor was asked whether or not there was a plan in place to stop more affluent people from cutting in line for a vaccine. He had this to say. We are working on this whack-a-mole every single day. We've had issues specific to, and I've seen this firsthand. I was down in uh, East LA the other day uh, at a public housing site, um, exclusively uh, Latino, and saw these Audis pull up, folks that look like me, wondering what was going on. It was a pop-up FEMA site, meeting the community where they are. And what happened is there was a code that went out on the app that was shared 
outside of the community. So your example, your question is spot on. And we're seeing that in other parts of this state. And so we're trying to geofence that. And we're also trying to do the following. Instead of having group codes, we're now doing individual scheduled codes to make that more challenging and create more burdens and obstacles for people abusing that privilege uh, and uh, ultimately allowing us to advance our cause. Locally, the county announced today that new COVID-19 vaccination appointments for the Nevada County Public Health Department Whispering Pines Clinic in Grass Valley will become available for scheduling tomorrow, March 5th, at noon. And that's on myturn.ca.gov. And now for regional weather. In the Grass Valley, Nevada City area, tonight should be clear with a low around 39. Tomorrow should be sunny with a high near 60. In Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight mostly clear with a low around 25. Tomorrow will be mostly sunny with a high near 51, although the National Weather Service has announced a lake wind advisory from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. Boaters are advised to check lake conditions before heading out and to be prepared for a sudden increase in wind speeds and wave heights. Finally, in Sacramento and Woodland, tonight mostly clear with a low around 41. Tomorrow, mostly sunny with a high near 67. Here are Hospitality House's needs for the week, followed by this week's edition of Bravehearts. Hi, I'm Christina Karen, Marketing and Development Specialist at Hospitality House, and the needs of the shelter for this week are PPE masks and gloves. Please keep donating these. New pillows, twin-size blankets, bottled water, hand warmers, Alka-Seltzer, travel bags and backpacks, headphones and earbuds, brushes, combs and hair ties, toilet paper, paper towels, men and women's winter gloves, men's jeans sizes 30 to 36, eight ounce paper coffee cups, please no lids or styrofoam or plastic cups, women's underwear sizes small, medium and large, men, and women's sweatpants, sizes medium, large, extra large, and 2XL. Ensure and boost drinks for a guest undergoing chemo and radiation treatment, plastic shower curtains and attachment rings for the outreach dorm's bathroom shower. Please drop off urgent items or mail them to Utah's place located in Brunswick Basin, past the DMV at 1262 Sutton Way in Grass Valley. For a tax receipt, please ring the doorbell and wait for someone to come outside to assist you. We greatly appreciate the community's help at such times of uncertainty. In the words of Utah Phillips, if we all stick together, we'll all get what we need. Thank you. Welcome to this edition of Bravehearts, where we hope to increase your awareness and understanding of what homelessness looks like and some of the many organizations working on solutions to improve the homeless crisis. 
We are your hosts, William Wallace and Betty Louise, and these are the Bravehearts. everybody to another episode of Brave Hearts. I am sitting here in the Sierra Roots office with Paul Cogley and it's really good to have you here Paul. Well thanks for having me. So I always like to start off my story catching with your story and how you felt compelled to work with homeless people and got involved in Sierra Roots. Well first time I worked with homeless people was about 15 years ago. I was working in New York City uh, at a nonprofit for affordable housing. And I realized I lived across the street from a homeless shelter that was very discreet. It was in a church basement. The homeless folks arrived in the evening and they left early in the morning. And they actually went unnoticed. This is a shelter that had been going on for about 30 years. So I introduced myself and became a volunteer there and I volunteered there for about five years. My commitment was to spend a, one night a month at the homeless shelter, and that's how I got started. Can you think back to what compelled you to do that? I was in my 50s, and I, yes, and, and that has, is meaningful because I think as I was getting older at that point, crossing the threshold of middle age into times that, that are coming ahead, I became more aware of how I wanted to live and I'm Catholic. I knew that practicing acts of corporal charity was a real important part of living the Catholic philosophy that I was familiar with. That opportunity that just opened up in front of me seemed like a way to to do something that I hadn't been doing so much of in my life. We get so hung up on our lives, which is natural, raising children and careers and the rest of it. It's not often we think, oh, hey, I think I'll spend an evening at a homeless shelter. But it does start to cross your mind. So you were getting older and you were reflecting on your faith and who you really wanted to be as a person Mm -hmm. and then there was this discreet homeless shelter right across the street. Wow, Mm. that's fascinating that they had it so discreet that you didn't even know it was there. It worked really well. There was a whole network of small shelters that had been built in New York City about 30 years ago, and they were operating in church basements. Later on, after the reason why that commitment and that uh, volunteer opportunity ended was because those shelters were closed in a consolidation move that the city did. So it was a wonderful program. I think it really worked well. I learned a lot. And now you're back in Nevada City, and you are very involved with Sierra Roots. So what had that happened? Well, I was here and I didn't know what the next chapter would bring coming back to Nevada City where, where I had lived before. I had a uh, career here as the Nevada City City Planner for seven years, but that had been a few years earlier. It was again that went to St. Canis and uh, one Sunday and Janice O'Brien gave a little talk afterwards. I just went up to her afterwards and introduced myself and said I'm, I'm available to volunteer. And that was about two and a half years ago. Well, and since then, you have gotten very deeply involved in (laughs) (laughs) the effort. Uh And very recently, you were heading up this program called the HEARTH program. I guess that's an acronym. Is that right? It, it is, but please don't ask me okay. what it is. But it's okay. a, hearth I, says it all, though. I yeah, think the word hearth. hearth. Just to try to balance the reality of, of what's out there and, and what's going on, like those great success stories. But what else did you see going on there? Because, you know, we need to also look at that stuff. So lots of lessons to learn. Reality check is that this is a, 
a population that has many vulnerabilities. Some of them became drug users after they became homeless. Some of them became homeless because they were drug users. That's a big issue. There has to still be boundaries and uh, codes of conduct, uh, behavioral-based uh, codes of conduct. Thank you for joining us today. Our hope is this segment has opened your heart and mind. Be well and be kind. This project was made possible with support from California Humanities, a nonprofit partner of the National Endowment for the Humanities. Please visit calhum.org. Next up, an essay by Molly Fisk. Molly Fisk, Observations from a Working Poet. When I turned 50 or so, I unaccountably became annoyed at having to mow the lawn. First of all, it wasn't then and is not now a lawn. It's an expanse of scruffy, ungoverned meadow on two sides of my house, taking up about a quarter acre. Lawns are seen as silly these days, a waste of precious water, and no one does somersaults on them anymore. But turning this much space into something else is a heck of a lot of work. And work, or me doing less work, is kind of the issue. So I did what many middle-aged single women do, who have no relatives to lean on. I looked for a kid who might want to mow the lawn for me. Even though 21st century children as a whole may not be as enterprising as the paperboys of yore, you can still find help. From a friend of a friend, I found a tall 13-year-old neighbor who wanted to make some money. We settled on his going rate of $8 an hour. Over the next five years, I taught Travis how to put away tools, not hit the tree trunks, raise his rates when he got a lot better at something, and drink more water. I listened when he first fell in love and first broke up. Sometimes he brought a friend for tough jobs like blackberry removal. He got taller and taller, and by the time I wrote a college recommendation letter and then waved as he departed for UC San Diego, we were pretty good friends. Last spring, I looked around again for a helper. My main concern was wisteria trying to winkle its way under the roof shingles instead of staying on the arbor where it belonged. I suddenly remembered a friend's child was excellent on the trampoline, something I'd watched him practice for years in Instagram videos. Hmm, I thought. Nimble, not afraid of heights. Maybe I should call him. Eight months later, Ethan still comes over on Friday mornings and has been hired by nearly a dozen of my friends for long- and short-term projects. He hadn't worked for himself before, but quickly saw the niche and filled it. He didn't need my help raising his rates or working for free when it was someone's birthday, either. When he's brought a friend to do the blackberries, they talk the whole time but never stop working. He's great at COVID grocery shopping, too. I'm going to lose him to St. John's College at the end of the summer, but luckily he's training up his younger brother. Yes, I wrote a recommendation letter. When he gets there and needs to find work, this will be one of his options. He knows the demographic to look for. The other day, Ethan stuffed a friend's green waste bin with leaves he'd raked. He had one pile left, though the bin looked full. My friend told me, wide-eyed, he just jumped straight up in the air and landed inside the bin on top of the leaves to tamp them down. 
That young man is part antelope. Travis, meanwhile, topped out at six foot five and is getting his PhD in particle physics at Columbia. Award-winning poet Molly Fisk writes, coaches, and teaches writing in California's Sierra Nevada foothills. You can reach her at mollyfisk.com. This program is produced at the studios of KVMR-FM, Nevada City, California. Funding is provided by Harmony Books of Downtown Nevada City and KVMR with support from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. That's our newscast for this evening. Want to hear it again? Check out our webpage, kvmr.org. While you're there, consider filling out our listener survey. It'll help us make decisions that will allow us to serve you better. Stay tuned. Money Matters is next, followed by Democracy Now! at 7 p.m. I'm Claudio Mendoza. Have a good evening. (laughs) 